Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Golden Gate Park. Zach, let's start recording, man. All right, we're cool. recording. Hey, John. Yeah, we are up. You know, you look, you're, you're, you're looking kind of puny back there, man. What's <laughs> man, the monster, dude. Well, I'm about uh, this Saturday marks two weeks from Vancouver Pro. So oh, okay, so you're getting ready to compete. Yeah, so it's it's you know what happens is even though I, I weigh less, you know you start to see more rounds yeah. because there's less body fat. Yeah, know? got it, got it. So you're probably you're probably a little hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things that I really key myself on is trying to keep the, the nutrients coming into the body nice and slow. So, you know, the, the closer I get, the smaller but more often I eat. You know, and that's, that's one of the concepts that I really work off of is, you know, having the body. If the body is unhappy and it feels like it's deprived, it, it's going to start to go. It's, when I go in, actually, last time we were on the, on the show, I talked a lot about human instinct, <clears throat> but what we didn't get into, which you just kind of asked, you kind of let into what we didn't get into is the, the really the, the silver bullet of how I go about, you know, my own stuff and help other people. And that's what really sets what I do apart. So like right now, two and a half weeks from a show. And of course the first thought is God, you must be hungry. And of course, you know, I'd love to eat some shit, some different shit right now, of course. But one of the things that I really key on is, if you basically put the body in a position where it's always in a position of needing, it's going to basically go into a conservation mode. Really, it's going to conserve because it's scared. It's not getting what it wants. So to answer your original question, I take my food and I, I'm eating smaller portions all day long. I really break it up because that way it's almost like an IV drip of nutrients, so to speak, which allows my body to not fight back because when the body gets into conservation mode, it's basically goes into a mode of survival. And when it wants to survive, it's concerned about, it's not concerned about building muscle. It's definitely not concerned about getting rid of body fat. It wants to store body fat. And so that being said, you know, that's where I really focus on right now is, I mean, literally I've had a, a meal. I've, I've been working on a meal over the course of the last hour, just, nibbling away grazing on that sucker because i don't want my stomach to start growling and turn itself inside out because that's the body telling me hey dipshit i need some nutrients here and if i let the body get too you know pissed off if i let the body you know make too many requests and i don't answer it said okay well you've given me no choice i'm going to start to conserve at that point the last little bit of body fat that i have is going to be so stubborn i'm never going to get rid of it and so that's really the, one of the biggest concepts that I work on, not only myself, but how I teach others. You know, the body, um, 
really, if you go, the, the way that my methodology is deep water thrive. There's basically two modes the body's going to be in. It's either going to be in survive or thrive. It's, it's usually not going to be straddle in between. It can be right up to the line, but it's going to be on one side of the next. Most people, you can see, especially in America, Christ, you walk down the street and you can see that most people are in a mode of survival. You know, they're overweight. If they're not overweight, they're in good shape. They've still got pockets of body fat. They just can't seem to get rid of because they're poor genetics. <laughs> and really what it's got to do is, is nothing to do with that. It's the fact that their bodies have been mistreated and their bodies are worried about survival. So it's in a conservation mode. So every time someone eats, it's going to store some and it's going to burn the rest real slow. That's where the body fat comes from. That's where the low energy comes from. That's where most people suffer is the fact they try to get in shape, but they're still in the mode of survival. So it's like, you know, trying to get in shape or make progress in fitness is like pushing a heavy, heavy wheelbarrow uphill. And the uphill is symbolic of the body's push back because it doesn't want to expend the energy. It wants to sit there and burn slow and store every time it has a chance. So now, well, John, so let me, let me just interject here because please. You know, when we are in, faced in a situation where, where nutrition may not be readily accessible, you know, we've got that body fat to rely on to fuel us. And so what you're saying is I'm providing the nutrition I need through my food so my body doesn't have to say I need to hang on to body fat. Now, you're already lean. I mean, you, you're pretty much year-round what most people be consider pretty lean. I mean, you're not contest stage ready lean, but you're generally lean. I mean, you're walking around, you know, 10% or, or, or perhaps less most of the time. And so you're already at a point where you can sit there and say, I'm going to feed myself nutrition. And I assume by nutrition, you're talking much of it is probably protein would be my guess. And then, you know, then you've got some energy requirements that are going to come from either fat or carbohydrate, you know, and then you might get some from gluconeogenesis. But how do you, um, how do you get from say 20% body fat 25% body fat, which is pretty typical. We see that a lot of males walking around, which is arguably too much fat, I would say, down into that sort of sustainable, you know, 10, 10%, 12% body fat where most people would be pretty healthy. How do you get from there to there? Because there has to be, or I wouldn't say there has to be, but many people would argue would have to, would say there has to be some sort of caloric reduction in order to do that, you know, potentially. So let me, let me hear your philosophy on that, John. Perfect example. I would say the majority of people that come to me for help, they're tired, they're hungry, and they're trying to get in shape. And through, you know, I talk with them, I got to really understand what they've experienced and what, you know, their body's going through. 99% of them are in the mode of survival. So I create a diet for them that is really based on the micronutrients, not macro. You can have a macronutrient has no value. It's like having a car, you got a car, well, does the son of a bitch have a motor? Well, so I look at the micronutrients. The body needs the vitamins, the minerals. You know, it doesn't want, it doesn't, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't want, it's, it's going to do, it's going to benefit much more if it has the things that it needs and it's going to start to relax a little bit. So the bottom line is this, what you just described, that guy that's 15, 20% body fat comes to me and he wants to see his abs for the first time. I'll create a plan. And it happens all the time. I'll give them the plan. I'm, I'm, I mean, I coach on a telephone. I'm not going to send somebody an email. There's way too much for me to explain to them. They could never pick it up through an email because I'm talking about, I'm talking to them about, you got to listen to your body and the processing. 
you got to understand did this take a long time for, for your body to process? You know, you can't, don't, you can never let yourself get hungry, but then you can't ever eat until you feel full or have abdominal pressure because both those are problems for the body. But the bottom line is this, to answer your question, so many of the people that come to me, they're counters, they've been counting, you know, and I'll give them their plan and they'll say, how many calories? I say, I don't care. It makes no difference to me because the calories doesn't make, that's not what we're worried about. We're worried about nutrient value. And so many of them will come back to me like later that day, but while they're prepping and say, you know, this is 1400 more calories than what I'm used to eating. I said, I don't, it makes no difference. You give me a week. And that person that is 19, 20% body fat in a week will be eating all the time. The biggest thing I have to make sure of is A, he never gets hungry and B, he doesn't overeat. If he can keep his stomach, you know, kind of like the half tank of a, of, a ga- of a car, he's not putting too much in, but he's not taking too little in, his body will process. That metabolism fires. And literally inside of 10 days, people will drop five or six pounds, but have more energy. It has nothing to do with counting the calorie. They're, they're in a calorie surplus compared to where they were when they started with me. Yeah, John, I mean, I see people going on a meat-based diet often talk about they're eating more than they used to and they've lost weight. And, and yeah. so when you talk about nutrition and micronutrients, let's talk a little bit about more what the food is. Because obviously, if you put somebody on a diet of sugar and Twinkies and garbage, <laughs> I mean, they're going to I mean, so let's talk about more specifically what, what you mean by nutritional food, because I think, again, I think the most important concept in nutrition is what food are you eating? And then everything else, the frequency, the amount, the timing, the, you know, circadian stuff is secondary to that. So let's talk about what food. So first off, you know, there's, you're, there's no question that we know that you guys know a big connoisseur of, you know, I'm a, I'm a no carb guy, but keep in mind, some people respond better to carbohydrates than others so it's really not about the carb or not the carb it's more along the lines of finding out the parts that we know that we need for sure so carbohydrate doesn't really have a lot of micronutrient value it's it's an energy form purely so let's just take that out of the equation when we're talking about micronutrients so first off there's different types of meats there's ground meats there's different types of essential fats perfect example i find some of my clients, and I'm, I'm really running run split tests. I'm finding out which of these sources are best with them. I have one client who currently, you give him an avocado, and 30 minutes later, he's got veins coming out of his forearms like he ate some, some sort of sugar. Now, I have another client, he eats avocado, gives him feeling of bloat in the stomach. So, it's not just about here's what works, here's these, all these, here's these foods, all these micronutrients. Which micronutrients from which sources do you respond to? You know, I've been getting hit a lot lately, especially since I was on your show last. Hey, is your, is your program carnivore? Is it keto? I say, whoa, my, my program is you because I'm the guy that's going to figure out what your body responds to best. I can't say because I have one client that responds great to avocado, they're all going to do it. Literally, I have another client at the same time, I was coaching them both where an avocado bloated them. So we switched it to basically almond butter, bloat one away. Then we took it to the next step. We mixed the almond butter with coconut oil. So now I've got two different chains there. That was his mixture. 
the mixture of almond butter and coconut oil for him was his super fuel. And obviously you got plenty of micronutrients in there. You got really good sustaining release of energy. Then you go to the meats, <clears throat> you know, I have some clients who they can only really digest X amount of servings of red meat. But then again, you take it and put it to a ground product. They're done to digest it better, largely because they're not chewing their food enough. <laughs> and I think it's having a hard time breaking it down. So when it comes down to it, there's no set formula. You, you know that they've got all of these items that are chocked full of micronutrients. Everybody is going to digest and process those differently. And that's truly the magic. My program, Deep Water Thrive, Thrive means when I find all of the pieces of the puzzle that works for that person, it's almost like everybody's given an eight-cylinder motor when they're born. Most people have only been running off of three cylinders, you know, sometimes four, maybe five. When I get all eight cylinders firing, these people sleep better. They have more energy. They're happier. They're more optimistic. Their body fat just starts disappearing because their body is just drops away from conservation like a fart going away in the wind because it has no concern about is it getting what it needs. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about a nutrition feeding schedule. We're also talking about a hydration schedule. It's not just as simple as, okay, here's the macronutrients. You know, you pile in too much at once, the body can't use it all. So it's a formula dedicated to the person dedicated to the person's life, dedicated to the person's activity, dedicated to where the activity is in the day. It's, it's, people say, oh, everybody's different. And everybody will tell you that. But then they'll be the first one, oh, this worked great for my neighbor. I'm going to try it. <laughs> you know? And no, everybody, you know, they, they have these phrases that they believe, but they don't actually understand the depths of the phrases. And even if they understand them, they're still will, willing to try what the, what the neighbor did if it worked for them. You know, it's, it's so specific to the person. And that's really what people have to get through is that when you find, I'm the guy that knows how to read the signals from the body. People say, well, what are we going to be doing in two weeks? I'll say the body is going to lead the way. I'm just the guy that can read the signals. Once I understand what the body wants, I'm going to start teaching this shit to you. Once you understand how to do this yourself, I'm going to re-release you into the wild as a lion of the goddamn jungle and your life will forever be changed. So John, it sounds kind of like, uh, especially kind of in the cutting phase, you're, you're to sum up kind of what you said, you're looking to reduce the, the energy intake from a macronutrient with as little micronutrient reduction as possible. So you're, you're maybe just getting a little more strict about what types of foods you're taking in with that kind of increased focus on getting those nutrient dense ones so that you can afford yes. to cut the calories without too much of a micronutrient dip. Well, exactly. Because when it comes down to it is I get more specific and I get closer to where, like I said, I'm, I'm actually end up, you know, I'm looking for micronutrient dense foods. So I don't, my body doesn't require as much to be happy. So I, I look at micronutrients. Most people look at macronutrients. Macronutrients, you know, shit, you can have a hundred, even worse word, calories. I hate the word calories. I mean, that's even worse than macro. <laughs> you can have a hundred calories of macronutrient has zero value. You know, you give that to somebody, the body doesn't come out. It, it looks at that like, okay, this is great, but it's not what I need. Your body think of it like a car. 
you, know, you give it five gallons of, of kerosene, okay, it's fuel, but it's not fuel at once. So of course, it's gonna conserve, hence store the body fat, hence burn the fuel it has very slow. So it's, it's such a different way of thinking, you know? Um, you know, there was a time when we knew for a fact, you know, like these, this, some of these programs are still out there. You know, it's calories in, calories. No, that's, that's the, so far away from the truth. I think there's so much research that proves that different now. And I believe, you know, and keep in mind, I am my own favorite test rat. I do, I test all this shit on myself. If I'm not confident in the outcome of something I'm doing, I will not coach it. And I'm very confident as I constantly am doing things to myself and I'm learning about how the body responds that we're going to hear a lot more about micronutrient placement than macronutrient placement, if that makes sense. No, no, I see that, John. And you would, you know, you would certainly uh, raise the uh, eyebrows of guys like Lane Norton and others that would say it's mostly all about calories um, and, you know, they have, you know, if it's macros type paradigm type of stuff. And, and so I would certainly agree with you that there are calories out there. They're absolute garbage that no one should be eating. And, and I don't care how many calories you're taking, even if you're in a caloric reduction, because I'm, you know, you're a bodybuilder. I mean, your goal is maximum muscle mass, minimal body fat. And I think that's, that becomes very, very important. And I think most people would do better, more muscle and less body fat. I mean, that's also from a health standpoint, that's very clear. You know, not everybody has a goal to be, you know, I don't know what you weigh right now, but you're going to get stuff on stage at 242. I don't know what you're going to, what do you weigh right now, John? I'll be on the stage, you know, I'm, I'm going to come in a little less this time, but I'm going to be on the yeah. stage about 265. Usually I'm about yeah. 270. Yeah. But, but keep right. in mind, so, I, mean, that's, that's, I, I, I agree with you. I, people come to me and they don't say I want to look like you. They say, clearly, you know how to ma manipulate the body. Help me, let me see my abs. And that's a, that is a very easy job for me because, that's the very front end of, of what I know how to do. That's the first 10%. You know, the 90% is from seeing the abs onto the stage, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, it gets progressively harder the lean you can get, obviously, and, and to main, maintain the muscle mass. And so is there a difference between someone that is trying to maximize muscle volume versus just the average dude that just wants to see his abs as far as how often we eat, how much we eat? You know, because we talk about, Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. How do you how do you sort of separate that out? So first thing that I'm going to do when someone comes on board is I've got to get them from from the from the platform of survive, which is conservation, to the platform of thrive. Once the body's thriving, energy shoots up. I really what I tell them: once we get you to thrive, your quality of life is going to be so much better. At that point, your body's not fighting us. Once we're thriving, you're going to be happy. You're going to be healthy. You're going to you're going to experience quality of life you've never experienced before. At that point, now we're going to take on the actual concept of building the muscle or getting really lean or both, because now the body's not fighting us. We got to get rid of the opposition, which is the body fighting every push that someone makes when they're in the mode of survive or conservation. Once I get them from survive to thrive, that's why I call my program deep water thrive now all i got to do is start manipulating the diet to give their body the ability to build more or to burn more build more muscle or burn more fat but if i if i take that position too soon the body fights it every step of the way so people look at that the people i coach you know they you know on, on my social media they're like how in the hell do these people make progress so fast 
Well, because I take the time to get them to the proper platform, which is where the body thrives. Now at this point, I can help them reach a goal twice as fast because there's no resistance from the body. It's not an uphill push anymore. You're, you're, you're going for a stroll on flat ground. Yeah, John, I, 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 I sort of expose a very similar thing when people come to me about trying to get healthy. And I say the first thing to do is to make sure you are nutrient replete. Let's hit you with nutrient-dense food. Let's fix all these potential deficiencies you have, whether yeah. it's you know, protein deficiency or micronutrient deficiency. I think many people, I, I tend to think of protein as a very valuable macronutrient. It's under, Absolutely. usually under 100%. Here. But, but, but then, then once you get them there, and it's like you don't lose weight to get healthy, you get healthy and then you lose weight. And I think that is a very yes. concept yeah. that a lot of people don't do. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I think we're saying it from the same song sheet there. I mean, it's nutrient-dense foods. I think, you know, in my view, animal, animal foods tend to be very high in nutrients. It's getting enough. And then, you know, like I said, then when you fix some of these nutrient deficiencies, metabolic inefficiencies, then you're then you can do what you want. I mean, really, it's just a matter of, you know, then it then it's just a matter of doing the work at that point. So let's talk about um let's talk about meal frequency for putting on muscle versus meal frequency for I mean, let's say you've got the person, you know, you got them, you know, you know, you they're they're six weeks into the deep water, you know, thrive program. You got them kind of where you wanted to. Then what do you do with them? How do you, how do you like, let's say I've got Miss, I got John who wants to put on 10 pounds of muscle and I got Sally that wants to lose 10 pounds of fat. How do these two, two different people work? Well, that's a great question. And when it comes down to it, going back to what I said a little bit ago, is the body is going to tell me what to do. Um, so let's say we get them to that platform and we start working on, on, uh, you know, building muscle for Joe Schmo, right? And, you know, we start pumping up, you know, the amount of his protein in his set amount of meals. Well, we start to realize, well, goodness, you know, it's get, we're starting to realize that the processing is actually starting to get compromised because there's too much going at once. So, bam, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to split it into one extra meal so it's coming in over smaller meals and there, there's not, the body's not asked to process so much at once. Now, at the same time, there has to be a balance between what the person can actually manage in their lifestyle. But the bottom line is, I, it's, I, there's no formula for this. The, the formula is this. The body is going to tell me what it can do and how it can do it the best. I'm just the guy that's going to recognize the signals and put it into play. So, again, if we, if we start raising the protein on somebody and we realize that, okay, we were having these great results and all of a sudden things start to slow down, and I ask them, okay, are, are, is it, are you getting hungrier or slower? Well, okay, yes, if that's the case. We know that the processing is slowed down because we've asked the body to process too much at once. So the next move, take the same value, split it into another meal, almost guaranteed at that point, processing is going to speed up and bam, off he goes to the races. But without recognizing the body is being taxed by asking it to process too much at once, we would not have actually taken that step. So it's purely me rest, rest, reading the body, understanding the signals the body's telling us. And, and one of the things I talk to my people about so much is processing. If you eat something and you're not processing at the rate that we want, we're not going to get what we want. That makes sense? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I definitely understand the need for appropriate digestion, and, and some people do struggle with that. So let's talk about some of the ranges you might see. So 
I know you have said you eat up to 10 times a day, which for many people would be impractical. I mean, you know, they just, they just can't, they can't make it work in their lifestyle or maybe they can, or it's for depending on what their, what their job situation is. Um, but what are you, what are you looking at? Are you seeing some people eating three meals a day or most people eating most more frequently and, and how, and, and I'd like to see a little more on what the signal might be like. Tell me like a classic signal that you might see somebody talk to you about and then how you would change it. Say so somebody is, uh, um, you know, maybe they're not talking about how they're, how hungry they're getting, but you know, they're, they're, they're either not putting on, they're, they're not losing body fat. What's the next change you make? Well, if first, if we get them to, well, going to your first question, it, the Thrive program is all about, there's going to be a phase of, of feeding more often to get them to thrive. Once the body thrives, then we've got a lot of latitude. We can start moving things around because the body's not fighting us. So if someone's like, hey, I can, I just had this happen. I, one of my clients said, hey, if we can go from seven to six meals, it's going to make my life a lot easier. A piece of cake. He was thriving. Body didn't care. But I'm, I'm always going to try to present something to the body it hasn't seen before to get it out of survive and to thrive. Now, going what you're in the second question where you're talking about, you know, if we get to that point where someone's not losing body fat, you know, you got to start looking in all the right places. So you're, there's, a, there's, there's a discovery process. So the first thing I want to be knowing is, are they hungry? Because if they're hungry, even a little bit, the body's starting to, it's starting to say, oh, shit, we got to conserve. We better start storing a little bit. If there's, and sometimes what people understand is people in America, when your stomach, it feels like a couple of goddamn hippos wrestling over a carrot, that symbolizes hungry. It's like, you know, you can feel you, your stomach turning itself in knots. Okay, that's hungry an hour ago. <laughs> when I say hungry, I'm talking about, you notice that first little shift in your stomach. That's what I teach is hungry. If you're getting that more than once a day, we've got to basically bring meal times closer together. We got to put, like sometimes I'll just have them have a hard-boiled egg, just kind of ready. If they feel that boom, they drop that egg in there, handles the problem. As long as the body is not prompted to conserve, it's going to lose body fat. So I start, the first place I'm going to look is what is making the body hold on to body fat. And usually because it's still, it's, it's getting some, something it's not needing, meaning hunger is the, big, is the first place you look. So a lot of times people just don't register that hunger, you know, they think of hunger, like I said, as a pain in their stomach. Now, I want you to think as hunger as just a little shift in your stomach, like you, you can feel something. Okay, that's hunger. So if you can adapt to knowing that that is the, that's really what I'll start off saying, the early onset of hunger. Once you start to recognize that, then you start to feed at that time, the body will relax, it will stop conserving, it'll stop dumping body fat. Ultimately, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get someone to where they're eating off of a schedule where they don't have to worry about recognizing too many signals, but they still have to know what to look for because their position of thriving is going to constantly evolve and they need to know how to adjust moving forward. And that's really the, the, the true power of what I'm teaching them is, I'm teaching them how to recognize when the body's giving them a signal that possibly could ask it to conserve. And if the body starts to conserve, everything that we're working for shuts down. John, do you find that like when you're working with someone and they start to kind of recognize those signals, like that early kind of slight turn in the stomach, and then, you know, they eat like a hard boiled egg or something like that. 
versus the person who sees that and like, oh, I can wait a little bit. And then they ultimately get to that point where their stomach's really growling is kind of preempting that or catching it, allowing them to eat less over time because they're, they're kind of, they're catching it before it gets out of control. Whereas like if they wait two more hours, then when they do start to eat, they tend to kind of go a little aggressive on how much they're taking in because they're, they're letting their stomach growl for a couple hours. 100% because what you just described, if you feel that early onset and you don't take care of it, especially with the good whole food that's nutrient dense, your blood sugar is going to start to drop. Your blood sugar drops, then your body immediately is going to conserve. It wants stable blood sugar. If the blood sugar is all over the place, that's one of the first things my plan is going to do is I'm going to stabilize blood sugar. I just took a guy on board a week and a half ago. He's diabetic, type A. He's been taking, you know, his blood sugar is all over the place. He's taken his whole life. Two days in, he's like, my blood sugar was perfect today. Well, it's because we gave him food that was going to release in a way that actually stabilized it, which then totally changed his day, you know? So keep in mind, because he's diabetic, I was having him feed on a schedule, not even looking for the signals because, you know, to stabilize his blood sugar, I couldn't take the chance that he got a little bit, even the early onset of hunger, didn't recognize it. But ultimately, what you're describing, you wait two hours, your blood sugar dips, your brain starts sending out a message, I need to get my blood sugar back up. And usually that's when people make bad food choices because sugar looks so damn good at that point. That's when you're fighting a battle you can't win. When your blood sugar goes down, it's like that's where the irrational thinking comes. That's where people can't keep themselves out of the gut. And I'm the same way. My blood sugar dips. I found myself in the goddamn car on the way to 7-Eleven. Okay, I got about five minutes to talk myself off the ledge and make sure I don't do that again because that, <laughs> because that low blood sugar, it sends an alarm out. It's almost like if the three of us were walking through a mall and all of a sudden we heard a fire alarm go off. The three of us knew it was coming. It was just a practice, but everybody else didn't know. We're going to watch people start running around like, they're going to start running around acting irrationally because they hear this alarm. It's alarming to them. Well, when your blood sugar goes down low, it's almost like a silent alarm. You don't know the alarm's going off, but you find yourself making poor choices because that erratic, you know, that reasonable thinking is gone because your body's sounding an alarm saying, restore my blood sugar now. That's why sugar looks so appealing at that moment, hence the bad choices. That's why we can never allow someone to be hungry in order for them to thrive and stop conserving. So one other thing too, Oh, I was just going to say like to go back to that person that you described in the beginning when they first come to you and it's clear to you that they're kind of in survive mode versus thrive mode and nutritionally you're trying to get them back to that thrive mode. Does uh, at that point, does is there anything unique about the training they're going to do to kind of help move them into thrive mode along with the nutrition or is that kind of trying to take on too much at once or what do you see with that i tell them that you know when people come on come on board with me i take care of the training nutrition all that stuff but i'll tell them i don't care if you even train a minute for the first week i just want you to get the diet perfect if you get the diet perfect we are going to come out of the gate so strong it's not about training it's about getting the body out of this mode. Once the body comes out of that mode, your training is going to benefit you twice as much anyway. So I rather I, I tell people all the time, I would rather you miss a whole workout than a single meal. 
a single meal has more potential to do us harm than missing a workout. John, I want to I want to get into the workout side of it, but I want to ask this one more one more kind of nutritional thing because. Um, you know, and we've had, you know, I know you've aware of a guy named Joe Bentley. We've had him on and he talks about, you know, a little bit of, you know, obviously the nutrient dense stuff and he's used a, you know, a, a very nutrient dense approach often using meat based approach for his, you know, his bodybuilding or at least some of that. Um, he talks a little bit about, you know, cycling in, you know, uh, days where you may have a little more food. You know, like I said, as you get leaner and leaner and leaner, you have these days Absolutely. where you might need a little more food. How do you approach that? I mean, the way he explained it to me and what I've seen success with is, you know, in the beginning, you can, you can, you can kind of do this lower, you know, nutrient dense, lower energy for a period of time. And then you have to kind of give yourself some energy so your body doesn't freak out. And then as you get leaner and leaner and leaner, that becomes more frequent. How do you, do you sort of subscribe to that philosophy? And if so, how do you implement it? 100%. So basically what I'll do is once I get someone thriving, they're going to be getting leaner and building body fat. It's just the way it is. But if they want to lean more towards losing body fat than building muscle, then all I'm going to do is I'm going to start manipulating their fat intake. And I'm going to get their, I'm going to get their metabolism just flying. I'm getting the RPMs up. And when the RPMs are up, it's, we can do a lot with that. <clears throat> then all I'm going to do is I'm going to start having days. I'll make cycles with their days where I'll start off with a real simple, normal day and a low day. And the low days where we maybe, and it really depends on the person, but we're going to pull out a certain percentage of their fats in their day for the meals. Well, their body's burning all this fuel, this fat for fuel, you know, especially if they're a person that, that's happier without carbohydrate, which a lot of people are. It is just burning fatty acids for fuel, just boom, 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 boom. And if the micronutrients are there, there's no crash, unlike a lot of people trying keto you know, because they're eating bacon and shit like that. That's not really providing them much good fuel. Anyway, beside the point. So once I get the RPMs up, I put a, a basic logo as a normal day and a low day, depending on how they're, where they are, the RPMs, depending on how much I think that the, you know, that the body can take. What I mean by that is this, the low day is going to be reduction of fat. What I tell them is this, you need to look really, really closely at the, the, the back third of your day. If you notice a dip in energy, that means we took, took too much fuel away. The body's starting to slow down. We're losing RPMs. That low day, you should not notice any dip in energy. You might start to notice that early onset of hunger just very slightly, but it's, it's not something that is actually a push. It's not something that we need to be concerned with. So Let's just say on a scale of one to 10, the body is, we get them up to speed, RPMs are up, they're thriving. They say, okay, let's, 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 I wanna work on getting leaner now. <clears throat> okay, so we're burning fat, let's say a nine and a half. We're feeding, the, we're feeding the body fats, it's burning some of its own fat for fuel. Now what we do is, and we get it there for a little while, we got it there running there for a week. We reduce the fat on the low day, okay? The body's still burning fat at nine and a half, but because we've given it, less fat through its intake it's going to be burning more of its own fat for fuel but doesn't really know any different if they notice a dip in energy that's symbolic that it had to burn enough of its own fat for fuel it actually felt the strain we don't want that strain because that strain will start to send it back into conservation so realistically it's just 
losing body fat doesn't have to be this painful process. Now, keep in mind, that's when we're talking about, you know, someone that's going, say, from 12% to 8%. You know, when you're talking about getting down low, there's going to be a level of discomfort. You know, you, it's just kind of you, you know what you signed up for. But I can pretty much take anybody, point blank, and I will take and let them see their abs for the first time without experiencing hunger. And most people have, they just can't wrap their brains around that. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Peterson's Natural Farms. Peterson's has been bringing high quality protein to market since 1992. All their farms are self-sustaining family farms. Their farmers grow all the food used to feed their pigs and give their pigs open pens, which allow them to roam and frolic naturally. They use no growth hormones or antibiotics. They use real seasonings and even smoke their meat with real wood chips rather than liquid smoke. If you would like to support HPO and high quality farming, please visit petersonfarms.com. That's P-E-D-E-R-S-O-N-S-F-A-R-M-S.com and enter HPO checkout. Now back to the show. John, let, let's talk about, um, you know, because I would assume there's some exercise involved that, or, or I would imagine, but what if you've got like the, uh, you know, the, I don't know if, if, if these people even come to you, but you've got some sort of menopausal woman, you know, 52 year old female who's 70 pounds overweight and really doesn't want to exercise. I mean, is that something you can deal with or how does that work for, for that type of person? I deal with it all the time because some people, I mean, hands down, the, metabolism stimulation, the biggest tool we have is the diet. Here's the example I give to people. Okay, you walk outside and you notice that somebody has dumped a big pile of gravel right in the middle of your driveway. And clearly you gotta get that pile of gravel moved to the side so you can get your car out of there. All right, well, moving that pile of gravel is basically comparable to reduction of body fat, okay? Now you got two tools in your shed. You've got a little hand trowel that's the size of a of a you know a, a you know like a you know a little cot like a saucer that holds a cup of coffee, and you got a, you got a, a miniature bobcat. Okay, well the bobcat is the diet. Training is the little shovel. So obviously the smart guy is going to use them both, but not necessary. If you want to move that gravel, you can move it far, far faster just with the bobcat, which is the diet. I've had so many people over the course of the last few years that I've reduced, oh man, a few of them over 100 pounds of body weight. Never, all I ask them to do is go for a damn walk a few times a week. Just don't sit on your ass. I need a little circulation. Circulation helps all these nutrients move around, which is going to make the body happy. Sedentary, bodies are not made to be sedentary. So the bottom line is, I don't need exercise. It's very helpful, but I don't have to have it. It's the body is going to become, once it starts to thrive, it doesn't want to carry around that hundred pound backpack fat. Once it stops conserving, it's like, well, shit, I get everything I need. This hundred pounds of fat is making life a lot harder. I don't have to worry about holding on to this for the rainy day anymore. Let's start dumping this shit off. And that's exactly what happens. So, Again, I always want people to exercise, but I want them to exercise in formats they enjoy. Because really the Deep Water Thrive program is about creating an exercise 
nutrition plan that they enjoy. We talked last time we talked about human instinct. When I create a program where their human instinct actually supports it, like they like the food they're eating, they like to exercise, maybe they like to play tennis, maybe they like to ride their bike. If everything in their plan is supported by the instincts of them, the things they like to do, it becomes their lifestyle and it changes their life. If their program is filled with a bunch of shit they don't want to do, it's just like every other thing out there. It only lasts for a little while and they go right back to where they started. Do you let's know? Talk about, let's talk a little bit about um, sort of uh, eating in, in conjunction with exercise. Say you've got, you know, somebody wants to do kind of what you're doing, doing some bodybuilding, some heavy, heavy lifting versus somebody that, you know, prefers to play tennis. How do we, or how do you sort of plan meals around that situation? Is it important to eat within a certain window? How, how do you deal with that? Well, it really depends on how vigorous the exercise is. If someone's going for a walk with their dog, then, you know, there's not really a, a, a post-training nutrient time of window we have to worry about because the body didn't really get put under major strain. But now someone that goes in the gym and busts their ass for 90 minutes, the body's trying to heal. If you don't get nutrients in the stomach that's highly, highly nutrient-dense and bioavailable quickly, it, the body is gonna, it's gonna freak out and it's not gonna want, it's, it, it's trying to heal and you're not giving it what it wants. So again, it's gonna start to conserve because oh, holy shit, I need, I need, I need and I'm not getting what I want, I better slow this whole process down. And so it really depends on the person and the form of exercise. And you know, let's just say that one person goes for a 30 minute stroll, you know, and that 30 minutes he, he covers a mile. Next guy takes a 30 minute stroll and he's speed walking and he goes 10 miles. I don't know if that's possible. Well, there's a big difference in that walk. So that walk needs to be supported with that. We got to utilize the, the, the nutrient timing window, which is post exercise. When the body's broken down, that's when that needs to be replenished. So it's really so specific to the person. Obviously resistance training, as we know, breaks down muscle tissue at a rapid rate. Body's going to try to rebuild. So it's got to have, the nutrients in the, I mean, for, I'm a big connoisseur of egg whites post-training. I mean, I'm sucking down egg whites, you know, in my last 30 minutes of training. I'm not even waiting until I'm done. And as soon as I'm done, I'm, and I'm going to have a meal, like, right then and there. I'm going to end up having egg whites and two feedings inside of 60 minutes after my training is over because that that's post-training is almost like your body's upload is like a, a vacuum cleaner. And it's after, after really, really strenuous exercise, special resistance training, let's call that vacuum run, it's sucking at a 10. Well, it only sucks at a 10 when it's trying to heal some sort of trauma. You know, they say the nutrient window is 90 minutes. I say, okay, 60, let's be safe. Well, I believe for sure that by 60 minutes or, you know, 75 minutes, that, that the volume of the suck from the vacuum, so to speak, it goes from a 10, it slowly starts to go down. So I want to use the, I want to use the, the, the suction of the 10 of the vacuum. The body's sucking, it wants nutrients. So that nutrient timing post-training is extremely important, especially for someone trying to build muscle because you don't give the body what it needs, it can't rebuild. And that's, that window is highly, highly powerful. One thing I wanted to follow up on when you were talking about kind of like 
the exercise component where you're more or less letting them kind of identify where their interests are, whether it be like, you know, going for a walk, cycling, going to the weight room. Do you notice that once you get a person kind of from survive to thrive, the interests in what they want to do increases just because they have like a return kind of more or less just positive outlook on movement and exercise in general? Yeah. So people come to me and first thing I'm going to do is I, anybody that I'm going to take on for this program, I need to understand where they are and where they want to go. And pretty much guaranteed, I don't say this to them, but I know it's coming. It's X amount of time. It's not going to be long, month, maybe six weeks on the program. They're going to realize, holy shit, I went from here to here in this amount of time. I'm going to close the door on my original goal so fast. I'm capable of more than what I thought I was. And so when someone reassesses it, and I don't tell them this is going to happen because it's a really fun day for me when they say, you know, I want to reassess my goals. I don't, I don't want to just do this. I want to do this. And it's like, they've just all of a sudden, it's almost like a whole new chapter of their life and their world is open because it's so exciting for me to help them realize they are so much more capable of what they ever thought they could prior to getting themselves into a position where their body thrives, where it will do much more. So 100%, brother, it's almost a guarantee. Very, very rarely does someone come on board once I get them thriving not reassess their goals. And usually, like a lot of times people come on and say, oh, you know, I just want to get in really good shape. I want to see my abs. You know, my dream is to compete. I just kind of leave it at that. I would say a huge, probably 50% or more people that their dream is to compete. They actually realize this is not, this, this doesn't have to be a dream. This can be a reality because the progress they made in that first month, two months was so drastic. They realized, Oh God, if I can get from here to here in two months, look where I can get in another four, look where I can get and blah, blah, blah. And so one of the things I love is I love changing people's lives. And you know, when someone tells me that they are just so excited because a new chapter of their life opened because they realize that they're more capable of achieving things than they ever thought they were. That, that's, that's beyond the, the financial paychecks for me. Of course, I get paid for what I do. I'm telling you, that, that it, just, it just fills me up, but my heart just explodes. And the passion for what I do is for those moments when people are just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I, I can't believe that I can do this. This is something I just dreamed about. I, I, I can do this now. Hell yes, you can. You know, and if they choose to do it, we do it. But just the fact that they, they realize that something that seemed like a dream is, is a choice. It's a reality if they choose. That is so awesome. And I love to be a part of it. You know, I tell people all the time, a good coach changes a life not just a body. And I tell my people all that time, I say, look, you know, I'm here to support you. I support you in as many ways as I can because the bottom line is I coach the person. I don't just coach the program. The program is specific to every person. Every person responds different. So I literally coach the person and that's where the whole, that's kind of what we're talking about. Really, that's the root of the whole thing, you know? 
Yeah, John, I'll echo the, 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 the sort of stuff on the feedback when you get people and they, they literally change their lives. They've gone from depressed, oh. bedridden, you know, not, not doing anything to, to thriving. It really is rewarding. Let oh, me, I yes. think we'd be remiss to not talk about this because you are, you know, an elite level bodybuilder, obviously, and, you, and we've talked about it in the last show, you've had a career in strength sports and wrestling and strongman. And so, you, you know, you've been through the ringer, you've got plenty of experience and, you know, people that achieve it generally know how to do it and you know it's kind of like you know you don't need a professor to tell you you need somebody that can actually put it in application so let's talk about building muscle because many people that listen to the show want to, want to build muscle and you know yeah i've been lifting weights my whole life and certainly i like having more muscle than less muscle and so what for you um if we can talk about what is important about building muscle outside of nutrition knowing that nutrition is vitally important but let's talk about training a little bit what are the important sort of uh, tenets of, of effective training for building muscle in your, in your experience? Great question. And this is something that people really get confused. You know, you hear people say, oh, I'm going to cut, I'm going to bulk drastic changes with the diet. And then their workouts are the same week after week. Okay. The way it should be is you get someone to thrive. Now their body has this uncanny ability to recover and adapt. Then you take the training and you make it so different. My training program for people that want to build muscle, change the style changes every week. Then not only the style changes, it's the volume, it's the rep rate. So every week they're like, holy shit, it's different every time. So the split's different, the rep range is different, the style is different. So what I'm doing is I'm, A, I'm getting the body to a position where it can adapt and it can recover from, you know, just about anything you throw at it. And then I put a program in front of them that is so different and so outside the box. It basically, what I call it, it's severe adaptation. I'm basically giving the body the ability to adapt, but I'm putting a program in front of them that is keeping their body literally adapting all the time, which when it adapts, it has to build. It has to overcome the hurdles. And so people have it totally backwards. Their diet is the one that's changing all over the place. Body doesn't want that. And their training is the same damn thing. They're bench pressing on Monday, five sets of five. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, they're in there eating fucking Twinkies after the workouts because it fits the macros, you know? <laughs> and so when it comes down to it, it's, it's now when I say it's a simple formula, there's a lot of detail within the simplicity, but the simplicity part is this. You get the body to thrive so it can adapt and overcome and rebuild from hurdles, big obstacles you put in front of it. Then you constantly put new obstacles and hurdles in front of it day after day, week after week, and they're always different. One hurdle does not look like the next. The one obstacle doesn't symbolize the one from last week. And so the body is never figuring anything out. It's got to overcome something bigger, different, faster every week, but it has the ability to do so. Once you create this balance, some people have this uncanny ability to actually, there's a few guys that I've trained. They can actually, even when their nutrition is perfect, they, the balance gets off. They train so hard. I have to basically recreate the balance, meaning that they'll push themselves so hard that their body can't quite recover. So I have to thin out their training a little bit. Most people, that is never a problem. Of all the people I've helped, we're talking three. That we're, it's very, the, the, the part that where most people come from is I say, look, you know, 
just get through the workouts. As long as you get through, you're going to recover. You're going to be fine. People say, well, rest periods. What about rest periods? I say, well, again, let the body lead the way. I want you to get in there and kick ass on every set. If the set didn't kick your ass, it doesn't count. Now, the rest time it takes to get back and to kick ass again, it's going to be different from week one than it is to week four, largely because of your body's ability to adapt faster. Then we've got different hurdles that it's, it's trying to overcome. So there's never one set formula. Everybody looks for this, this you know, the, the, the formula is you got to learn to listen to what your body is telling you. When you learn to listen to that, that's where the magic happens. And so when it comes down to it, it's really, it's, it's the, the two form, the two aspects, give your body the ability to overcome and recover and then constantly be putting new hurdles in front of it. So it's got to constantly adapt severe adaptation. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, John, I mean, it sounds like, you know, when you're talking about the workouts, there is the common denominator of, you know, intensity at there and whether that comes from volume, whether it comes from heavyweight, lightweight, low reps, high reps, it seems like there, there has to be some level of intensity. And you know, we had Ed Cohen on the program uh, a while back and he, and I asked him, what did, you know, what did a thousand pounds feel like when you're squatting it? And he goes, well, it basically felt like 500 pounds when I can only squat 500 pounds. That is to say that <laughs> it's still very good. Yes. Right. I mean, it's yes. your body, you know, you, in, 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 to get to that, higher and higher level you just have to continuously raise that level of intensity and there's lots of ways to do that and i and you know in my own workout like the other day i squatted got to 225 for 10 sets of 10 which is you know not you know crazy but it, it was enough stimulation where I, you know i felt like it was a tough workout and then the other and then someday i may go and squat heavy and so i'll, I'll kind of trade that back and forth and, and that's what i've used and, and i don't necessarily pursue bodybuilding i'm doing rowing and all these sort of endurance type things i mixed it up and so I very much subscribe to that. You know, variety is, is very helpful for, for a number of reasons. Um, and I, I like the fact that you talk about the rest periods being wh whatever they need to be, because I think that's important. I think a lot of yeah. people will compromise the, the effectiveness of a particular exercise or intensity trying to hurry through. And I see these people trying to combine conditioning with strength training. You know, you see the fitness models where they're doing these crazy ass you know marches up and down doing curls while they're doing lunges and i'm just like what in the hell are you doing you know that just makes me laugh but i mean tell me let's let's <laughs> just just for an example give me give me like a sample leg workout you might have somebody do just as something you say that's outside the box so just just to kind of give an example real i'm sorry can you, if you can there's a sound in the background the gardeners just showed up and they're blowing off <laughs> i got a sliding door open can you guys hear me yeah, you're fine. Okay. Go ahead. He's going to be gone in just a second. My apologies. Um, so basically, that being said, the workouts are always going to be very different, sometimes different in like one of my favorite workouts is say, say you're going to take uh, five sets of five, right? But you're going to work up to the heaviest, and this is more beginners, in advance it'll be eight sets. And it could be eight sets of 10. It could be eight sets of seven. You're going to work up to the nastiest set of seven that you can execute safely. Okay. Once you reach that weight, then I'm going to give you a percentage. You're going to say take 80%. And these, these numbers always change. You're going to take a percentage of that, maybe 80%, maybe 75%. And you're going to do five sets to pure failure. Now, 
guaranteed if you're truly going to failure, the first set of failure is probably going to be twice the amount of reps as last. But going back to what Eddie said, it's not about the weight. It's about the difficulty. What does it feel like? And so realistically, I'm a big connoisseur of having someone maximize their potential of having that muscle be taxed without putting them at a huge risk of injury. Because once that muscle is tired, it doesn't know weight. It knows difficulty. So that's one of my favorite ones. Um, you know, another one I love putting, like, you, you might see in my workouts, you got five front squats plus 10 back squats. You're supersetting the, the squat variations for five sets. That's a killer. Because most times it's someone that, you know, generally speaking, someone's front squats weaker than their back squat. So, you know, so maybe they got five sets for 315 on the, on the front, five reps for 315 on a front squat. It kicks their ass pretty good. Then they rack it, put their head on the other side of the bar, do a set of 10 with the back squat. They get done with that. Like, what in the hell? What planet did this come from? It stimulates them in a way they've never been stimulated before. That right there is what my goal is in my training is to stimulate them in a way they've never been stimulated before. And it's through combinations. It's through rep range. You're going to find, say you're doing a seated dumbbell uh, overhead press. You might find five sets of five sets of seven, five sets of 10, let's say. Then all of a sudden you're going to find three sets of 20 of the same exact exercise right behind it. You know, it's, it's, it's all about stimulation. And you can stimulate from so many angles. There is no right answer for stimulation. It's, it's all about creating ways to stimulate the body safely. Stimulate the body in a way that people enjoy. Stimulate the body in a way that makes sense for the person and their goals. And so, you know, the, the, it's so specific to everybody. Yeah, we recently had a guy named uh, Dr. John Jacobs on the show. And, you know, he, you know, there's people that, that, that talk about time under tension. You know, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that concept. And, and, you know, maybe not even locking out reps and just doing reps to continue to keep the muscle, you know, fatigue. And there's, you know, the, the research seems to show if you can recruit muscle fibers, and there's a lot of ways to do it. It's, it's more easy. It's a little easier to do it with heavier weights just because, you know, you can't squat 500 pounds and not fire muscle fibers where you can squat 135 and maybe you're not even, you know, or you got to do a lot of reps to get that muscle fiber stimulation. So are you, are you, what are your thoughts on like things like time under tension? Um, you know, and then I'd also like to talk to you about frequency because, you know, how often do I need to train my legs? You know, if I'm going to maximize muscle growth. Well, to go into your first thing, obviously 500 pounds, you got no choice, you know, you got to give it up to get it up, period. Then you, you got the flip side where someone puts 135 on, they've got to have the, the, the mental strength and the mental tenacity to make that 135 at some point feel like that 500. And that's not an easy job. So usually you're going to find a weight that's a little easier to do that with. So 500 pounds, say for a set of five, might be more comparable, say, to 315 for a set of 25. So I think there is that whole concept of you go too far away from what's, you know, you're keeping the, the time under tension, but it has to be in a way where it's actually manageable for somebody to create the tension that actually, you know, thinking of you, if you did 500 pounds for a set of five, 
hell, you might have to do 75 reps with 135 to make it feel like 500 pounds, and that's a hell of a haul. <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll tell you, John, one time I, I squatted 135 for 100 reps, and it wasn't fun, man. I, I, that was oh. miserable. I mean, it took me like 10 minutes of sitting there. Dude, breathing. I did that with – I did that. I've done power clean and back squat for 100 reps at 225 in one set. It's awful. Absolutely awful. Those might have been the most pain. It was like they were literally like eight and a half, nine and a half minute sets. And and the, the squat is worse because the power clean you it hits the ground, you got a brief moment not under tension. The squat, you're standing there and you just gotta keep working because the longer you wait, the worse it feels. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. You're breathing like a freight train, your heart rate's going two hundred a minute, you know, and it's it's it, that that is not fun. So yeah, I mean I agree that you can definitely, but, but the problem is, you know, it, it, when you do that many reps, what muscles are you fatiguing? Are you fatiguing your legs? Are you fatiguing your back? Are you fatiguing your damn necks getting tired from holding the weight on there? So you've got these, when you get into low, lower weights for that type of stuff, particularly pretending on the exercise. Now, do you think, I mean, because obviously, you know, barbells are an essential part or for most bodybuilders diet, but I mean, how, how much do you incorporate machine training? I know you train a lot at home. And so, you know, obviously you're limited by how many machines you can stick in your garage, but how do you, cause I mean, when you go about, when you talk about going to failure or, you know, maximum recruitment of muscle fibers in a safe fashion, you know, you can, you might find it more, more safely effective doing it in a machine. So what are your thoughts on, on that sort of stuff? Well, so the, one of the things that I really subscribe to is, is the fact that, I believe that, you know, that machines are something that I, I'm happy to use when I'm injured. You know, I'm trying to keep something safe. Uh, a compound movement, you know, free weight movements, I believe this is the, I mean, you can, you can have all the concentration in the curl with a dumbbell. You know, you don't have to be on a preacher curl, you know, machine. Um, you know, it's, it's here again, I think it has to do with, the way that you break down the exercise, your knowledge of how the exercise works, your ability to contract the muscle. So I, I mean, I'm not a big connoisseur of machines. I mean, sometimes I have fun going to a gym and just dicking around with something because it's fun. But when I really want to get my work done, it's going to be with a barbell or, or a dumbbell, you know, and I've always been that way. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, people that just they, they think that machines are safer and to some extent they are meaning you know if you're doing some sort of a, a of a leg exercise that that's you know would normally put your back at risk of squat if you didn't know how to squat but at the same time it also puts your joints in pathways that they're not meant to be under load so it's kind of like okay you're trading one for the next so you're you're burning up your knees from doing a, a Smith machine squat because you can't find the natural pathway or you learn how to squat right and you your, your knees are, are happy if they have, if you actually know how to squat right and you sit back and the knee takes the weight distribution, distribute, the weight is distributed evenly the way it's supposed to on the knee versus on a Smith machine. Hell, I don't even think I could find the right pathway to keep my knee from taking a beating somewhere. So I'm not a big connoisseur of machines. I mean, I will put machines in my programs because so many people use them, but the majority of what I'm going to prescribe to some is going to be a barbell or a dumbbell. And I think that you're better off here again. It's kind of like, if you really want to do this, do you want to do it right? You know, let's, let's build the house 
on a real foundation. Let's just not try to rush through this and build the son of a bitch on sand. Yeah, let, let, let me just get you to answer the question on, on, on frequency of training for muscle groups because I think that's an important concept. Yeah, go ahead, John. So <clears throat> the frequency of training, that, kind of, that was kind of a, the second part of this. So say that you're using, if you're, you're, you're really pushing yourself on, say, a compound movement, say a squat, your frequency of, of training that, that muscle, again, may be far different than if you're pushing yourself on a leg extension. Because there's all sorts of parts of the muscle on the leg that are not getting worked. You know, if you're squat, you're getting the groin, you're getting your butt cheek, you're getting, I mean, hell, the damn near the whole leg is working if you're doing it right. So with all those muscles getting broken down, you know, there's going to be a longer period that you're going to need for it to rebuild. You know, people sometimes will go back to the well too quickly, and that can do as much damage as, you know, that can do more damage actually than waiting too long because if the body doesn't actually rebuild, it just, it's almost like the, the, the tissue never actually gets recreated and you're breaking it down again. And then it really slows down progress. One of the examples I make is <clears throat> so say that a muscle is like the back of my hand, right? And that my, my hand, this, so here's the muscle. This is the training, which is sandpaper. I come here, I go one, two, three. And I come back too quickly, one, two, three. Come back too quickly, one, two, three. Pretty soon as it, it, it eats a hole in my hand, it's just bleeding, it's a pussy mess. Versus if I figure out the timing right, I go one, two, three, and I, I wait just for the right amount of time, come back, one, two, three. Eventually, I'm building a callus. So you've got to understand that the frequency, again, has a lot to do with it's all set up by your body's ability to recover, which is really, really set apart by your nutrition. Then how hard are you training? So there's all these elements that come into the answer. You can't really just say, oh, yeah, once a week, oh, twice a week, because it would be someone who answers that question is not really giving you a truly educated answer. Yeah. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly that nutrition has a huge role in recovery. I've noticed, you know, as I've changed my diet, my recovery has dramatically improved. In fact, despite the fact I'm in my fifties, I can train pretty frequently, pretty hard. Now what, what, you know, because obviously you say there's no, and I agree, there's no like standard every fourth day you do this, um, what are the signals that tell you like, Hey, I'm ready to go again. Like it's time to hit legs again. What do, what, what are you looking for? What, what would your client say? Say, how do I know when it's time to, 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 to tap at the well again? Yeah. Well, the simplest one is, <clears throat> oh, there we go. Sorry about that. The simplest one is the fact you went so when you're sore, if you're sore, don't go back to the well. Um, if you're, if soreness is gone, obviously that's the, the easiest see, sign to signal to read. Then you're going to start to realize if you are going back to the well too quickly, you're not really going to feel too good in your workout. And you're going to start to notice that the progress you're making is not what it should be. A lot of times people get a little too excited and they train a little too hard, a little too often and progress just stops because that recovery, you, you know, the, the, the growth comes from the recovery and the rest, not the breakdown. So it's a, it's a, there's definitely a balance here for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's some people to talk about, I mean, there's people that follow things like heart rate variability. I mean, there's guys in the hit camp, you know, high intensity training, you know, you know, the Mike Menser, you know, Arthur Jones and, and these guys that will ascribe to, you know, once a week or once every 10 days or something like that. Um, you know, and I, I 
for me, I've always felt that I needed more frequency. I need more volume than, than that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I just wonder if you've got a, a sort of thought on, you know, should you err more on the side of volume? It seems like bodybuilding requires more volume than strength training. But I don't know, maybe, maybe I mean, obviously you'd have more insight than I would on that. Well, I think in general, strength training, you're, you're really digging. You're taxing the CNS, the central nervous system. Now you're talking a whole different level of recovery. Bodybuilding, you're trying to tax the muscle. So just the muscle's got to recover. When you're talking about strength, you're, you're training your being. You're training your whole body. Once your central nervous system is fried, the muscles don't respond well. All you want to do is lay there like a jellyfish. So bodybuilding, you're not going to, the intensity is going to be more concentrated to the muscle rather than the whole body. You know, the whole body's ability to adapt is more strength as to where the muscle's ability to adapt is more bodybuilding, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I do, and I, I'm just, you know, but, but, you know, but having said that, you know, like really good strength, many people think about powerlifting, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe some degree Olympic lifting, but for, for a powerlifter, I mean, you know, they're squatting and deadlifting, and as a bodybuilder, not all bodybuilders do that. Some, stick, some sit on, their, on the leg press and the leg, you know, and the hack squats and that sort of stuff. But I mean, I mean, I mean, in your background, I, I imagine you're still squatting and deadlifting, uh, maybe using a different rep scheme or weight yeah. scheme to, to stimulate the, rather than, you know, because heavy, heavy singles or 90% efforts really do tax the, the CNS. I mean, I, yeah. you know, you see that. I mean, I can go in there and pull, you know, a damn heavy, you know, even heavy rack pulls. And, and I'm like, you know, it's like your brain changes or something. It's like your whole body feels like your skeleton's been picked up and shuck, shuck around and put back in your body sometimes. <laughs> and so, I mean, like I said, so you're, when you're doing these compound movements, maybe, maybe it's more volume, lighter weight. Is that, is that the difference I'm, I'm hearing? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, it's, it's again, I want to make sure the weight is enough that I'm stimulating the muscle, but I'm not hitting the CNS because once the CNS starts getting banged up, it really alters the ability for me to build that muscle. And so it's, again, it's not, bodybuilding is not so performance based. It's aesthetic based. So you don't have to worry about how much can you lift? You know, it's, it's how, how do you look when you get to the stage, you know? Yeah, and this is something interesting, John, because I had, you know, and I've read, you know, and I've done, you know, read a lot of studies and books on, you know, uh, strength training. And, you know, uh, you know, I was reading for a, uh, a strength and conditioning coach certification, which I, I was like, I read the book and I know most of the stuff because I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I was like, I'm not going to bother with going and getting a certification. But, you know, the classic teaching has always been. Uh, cross-sectional mus muscle area yields strength. That is, the bigger your muscles are, the stronger you are. But then we recently had a guest on, Dr. Keith Barr, out of uh, UC Davis, talking about this stuff, some of the research, and they show that um, that's not necessarily true. That is to say, there are guys that you know, main, you know, you know, we can look at Olympic 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 lifters for, to speak. You know, and these guys can be incredibly strong guys, not have as much muscle as a bodybuilder, and so there's a difference in the in the not to say that you're weak or bodybuilders are weak by any stretch, but I mean, it's to say that, again, you're prioritizing cellular volume, muscular, sarcomer yeah. volume, and you're not focusing on the, you know, maybe the, the, the CNS, the strength, the, the performance aspect of it. And so it's, I think it's not as simple as it was. And I think what you're saying about volume, uh, you know, muscle growth rather than strength is, is a very important distinction. And, and 
not not to suggest that any professional bodybuilder is, is in any way weak. I mean, they're stronger than 99.99% of the people on earth, but that is not the goal. The goal is not to be as strong as possible. And you know that from being in powerlifting yeah. and strongman, and, and there's differences in the way you train and way your muscles respond. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, bodybuilders that get caught up in how strong they are, they're really losing focus on what their objective is. You know, of course, it's fun to lift heavy and it's fun to move weights around. But is it really helping the goal? Are you putting yourself at risk? Is it truly what you need to be the best you can be for your objective, which is getting on the stage looking a certain way? So it, a lot of times our egos get in the way. You know, our egos want to do one thing, but they really take us away. They blind us from the objective. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things that I struggled with all the years. And, all, and I've done a lot of sports and competed at different high levels and like throwing and, and you know, different sports. And I had a, uh, one coach who's an Olympic, uh, Olympic uh, medalist uh, was telling me, man, the goal is the goal. And so whenever yeah. you get like, I would get into this throwing where, I, you know, I was going to compete in Highland Games and I won, you know, I won a World Championships as a Masters. And I was like, my goal is to throw this shit as far as I possibly can. But I'd always get into how much could I snatch? How much could I deadlift? And that wasn't my goal. And it's very yeah. easy to get distracted. And so you've oh. got to be laser sharp focused on what's the goal and, and maintain it over time because you get bored. I mean, it's like, shit, I'm tired of just doing the same thing over and over again. Once I started coaching, you know, and, and I really found my love in coaching people, that's when I really started to recognize where, when I was losing my focus because I'm coaching them into keeping their focus. And it's almost like, you hear a lot of people say, when you start to teach something, you get so much better at your craft. When you teach a craft, you get better at it. And I cannot agree with that more. I mean, holy smokes. And, uh, you know, I, what you just described, I've been caught in that so many times. It's, 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 you know, you, you just, it's fun. You, you, you just, you look forward to how much can I snatch? And does that really translate to, to your world championship? Maybe, but it's really not the main objective, you know? And so it's keeping that snatch, if, if you tweak your back, well, it definitely didn't help your objective, you know? So, but yeah, I, I cannot agree with you more, brother. Hey, uh, real, real quick, I, I got to grab my phone charger. I just got a 10% warning. I don't want this thing to die. Can you give me like 30 seconds so sure. I can plug my phone in? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, One second. Go ahead. My apologies. Yeah. I, I think an interesting thing too that goes along like that, just is good, a good message in general when you know you get athletes and they get really uh, interested in kind of PRing in a variety of different things. I see that all the time in extreme endurance too where we'll do like some VO2 max type uh, interval sessions earlier in the training program because I think it's a beneficial workout, but it's just not specific to like a hundred mile race. And you start to see that improvement in that system of training. And you might have someone go and run like just a really fast workout and they get kind of addicted to wanting to be fast or see that improvement. And the hard part then is getting to let go of that to compromise a little bit for something that's a little more specific to the paces they're going to be doing in running all day long so it's interesting though <laughs> all right here i'm, I'm good i got that sucker plugged in sorry about that guys. yeah we saw you look like you were walking right on the bridge when you went back there too. <laughs> <laughs> you're crossing over to your side of the bridge i guess <laughs> you know, the, the one thing about these 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 iphones is i realized that the battery life all of a sudden you know two months ago it was a piece of cake to do something like this all of a sudden now it's like it's chewing through battery left and right so i I guess I got to be a little bit sharper to the hustle, have this thing plugged in before 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. These iPhones are batteries. I think they just start to wear with time. I think it's, you yeah. know, it's like they built in this obsolescence. So you got to go buy a new one and spend, you know, yeah. whatever, 500 bucks on a new damn phone every two years or something. Because I had this bad. thing in the 90s when we started. I thought, oh, I'll be fine. All of a sudden, I get a, that warning. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, Sorry they, about that. they do go through that. Well, John, what, so you, what contest did you say you're competing in in two weeks? It is the Vancouver Pro, IFBB Vancouver Pro. Uh, I love Vancouver, one of my favorite cities on the planet. It's so beautiful. I mean, you could be downtown Vancouver in a you know nice warm and a shorts and a tank top or t-shirt. You can look across that body of water and see people up on the snow on the slope skiing. That's very unique, you know. Yeah, and, Vancouver's uh, beautiful. I really, I've been up there a I really times. enjoy Canada. The people up there are nice. You know, it's it's a. Uh, I really I, I enjoy my time up there. Hey, John, let me ask you, just because you're, you're two weeks out from your contest, what are you eating right now? Can you describe a day of eating for you right now, just out of curiosity, if you don't mind? Or Absolutely. Top secret. I don't know. That might be top secret. Give your No, 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 not at all. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I tell people, listen, I, I want people to learn. I, when I coach, I want you to learn. Now, granted, this is for me, keep in mind, but I'm a big one on ground because the digestion for me is far better. I believe, you know, as a fat little boy, I think I just ate my food too fast, and it's a habit I still carry. <laughs> so even though I'm just taking a few bites and walking away, making a meal lasts a long time, I don't think I chew my food well enough, so I go with the ground products because the upload is going to be better. I'm always going to have a really nutrient-dense, so I've got basically ground turkey, ground beef. I'm, I'm describing my diet today. Ground turkey, ground beef. I've got some spinach. I've got some asparagus. And I've got some avocado. Uh, and basically, what I'm looking at is I've got uh, nine meals. And I've got seven ounces of cooked meat. And basically, what I do is I'm going to be spending, uh, I, today's an upper body day. It's a chest and shoulder day. So it's not over the top like a back day or a leg day. So I'll backload a little bit, but I won't worry about it too much. As to where like yesterday was a leg day. So I made sure that I had a lot of nutrient coming down the pipe right post-training. But ultimately, I'll end up having, I spread these meals evenly across the day. But right now, the timing of the meals is not so important as to where, where I notice I need to graze more based on what I feel in my stomach. So like this morning, I had my second meal seemed to last quite some time. Every time I felt like I had that early onset, I'd go take another three bites walk away uh post training that's going to start to change because my problem my body's going to start sucking up the nutrients so on these days i really let my food kind of just drift across the day and it my body tells me when it needs more nutrient value and i think that's one of the, the one of the true secrets about allowing the body to be happy and get rid of body fat you know in terms of without going into that mode of conservation do, do you find, just a quick follow-up with that, do you find that you've run the system enough now where you can pretty much just, just predict it's going to be seven meals of this quantity? Or do you get to like a point where, well, I got six and a half in and my body has said that's enough and then you stop there? Or like you get to seven and your body says, I need a little more and you add a little more? That, that is 100% a concept that, that I would have been playing with three months ago, you know? Right now, I pretty much know what I've got to take in, mm -hmm. you know, and still be on my pathway of chipping my body fat down. 
the question I have to really answer every day, which my body tells me, is what point in the day is it asking for the nutrient value? You know, so when, you know, when I'm, when I'm not in that final step, what you're describing is absolutely correct. And that's what I teach my people is that some days your body's not going to ask for quite as much. But when you're, when you're giving it just enough to be happy, you got to listen to, you know, when does it want what you got to give it? You know, it's pretty rare in the last couple of weeks or the last month that you're not going to finish your food. <laughs> if that was the case, it'd be a lot easier. It'd be a lot easier. Everyone would be professional bodybuilders then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, cool, John. Well, I'll tell you what, I unfortunately got to drive up to Van Nuys and film some, there's some movie thing I'm supposed to film in today. So I got I to start heading up there. But, uh, Man, it's a pleasure having you on. Wish, wish you good luck with the, with the contest. Hopefully, we'll see a, see a good result for you and get what you want. And, uh, I mean, as always, it's very entertaining and very educational having you on there. So, let's keep in touch and, uh, you know, let's just see how things go over time. Thank you very much. John, let people know how to get a hold of you uh, if they want to contact you for some coaching or some advice. Because uh, I know I see Absolutely. you on Instagram Live or Instagram TV. What's up, my peeps? And just going down with that stuff. What <laughs> a motivation. And you're very – entertaining fellow but that's for sure so let people know how to get a hold of you john so my instagram is probably going to be the easiest way it seems to be the biggest hit social media right now and it's at the john anderson but keep in mind my name is spelled different so j-o-n and a-n-d-e-r-s-e-n so at the john j-o-n a-n-d-e-r-s-e-n at the john anderson and you'll see me hooting and hollering motivating every day I've been actually lately, I've been doing what I call the daily deep water motivation. And then I've been also putting out some sort of a kind of borderline teaching, but also motivating, getting people to think, you know, are you really, really committing yourself to what you're doing? That kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I'll just, and I've watched several of your John, and, and I would say one is very entertaining, but also it is uh, not for the faint of heart. John isn't afraid to uh, call out the BS and, that's it. people and use some salty language and you know i've been known to cuss it sometimes but anyway that, that's great stuff john and like i said wish you continued so you know i think the thing is you know when you like my name's sean s-h-a-w-n it's, it's kind of a weird spelling and the same thing with j-o-n uh it's like you know maybe you got to change your name to the rock or something like that or have some simple <laughs> so people know you but you know i guess this is what i heard about the rock i heard that like he doesn't even own the, the rights to the rock the name the rock anymore because somebody said we're going to own the rock. And so he had to change it to, you know, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, because he, uh, he can't use the rock anymore. It's just his name because somebody else owns it. So it's kind of funny. You have to, you can't even trademark your own name. It's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, like you said, you know, I'm kind of a flavor. I'm a love hate flavor. So if people want to find me, the, the, they're going to find me, you know, the, the people that don't is probably better that they don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right man all right joe i got a jet man thanks all guys right. take uh, care john hey folks human performance outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth we are looking to take on some new sponsors so if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. 
Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.